right. Welcome to episode three of the Parable Sowers podcast. I am your host and resident author, Matt Lucas, and I am really excited today uh, to have a fellow member of the writing community, P.L. Stewart, online with me. So uh, we'll be doing an author interview today um, with P.L., uh, who is an author of A Drowned Kingdom uh, with the publisher Friesen Press. So really excited to have you, P.L. Thank you so much, Matt. I am so excited and honored uh, to be here. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for the listeners, I, you know, PL and I were dialoguing a little bit before we, we started the recording here about just what a nice and genuine, influential and supportive member of the writing community on Twitter that PL is. And that was actually one of the things that that really like stuck out to me. Um, and you were the you jumped to the top of the list of just people that I wanted to help promote via this podcast. Um, and so, you know, big question here at the onset is like, what makes you just such a supportive type of person? Like what spurs you to do that for other writers? Well, first of all, I'm so honored you would feel that way about me, Matt, right back at you. I feel the same way about you. Um, I believe that, I firmly believe that we only succeed in this authorpreneurship uh, business that together. Um, we only succeed by helping and support each other, by promoting, by promoting each other's work, because mm-hmm. um, doing it in isolation, um, yeah. I don't believe works uh, as effectively. And certainly, I believe that uh, the, the giving back is certainly good for the soul, uh, beyond simply good business sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, best practice, I believe, especially as indie authors, uh, whereby we don't have the uh, the, the highly weaponized machine of traditional publishing behind us, where we have mm-hmm. um, that's difficult enough as it is doing it in a isolation. Um, but then to have be part of this totally uplifting and, and supportive writing community, I think that's what can really propel uh, success. So I think that uh, we're so much stronger with each other than we can individually. So that's, that's one of the biggest reasons I have and trumpet for promoting each other and supporting each other. Beyond that, let's face it, I I actually detest uh, the the self-promotion part of um, of being an indie author. I would much rather promote your work, Matt, for example, than my own. I get much more pleasure out of boosting others uh, than even... You know, it almost feels very disingenuous. Constantly, hey, look at Look at this. It just, um, I feel a lot better doing it uh, for others. And then, of course, um, that feeling of when someone is kind enough to pay it forward for you, it just really makes you feel special. So, yeah, that's why I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah, that's that's very cool. That's an awesome answer, answer uh, PL. So I, I, really, um, I really love having this opportunity to sort of promote you, and I love kind of the the dichotomy that you outlined of of paying it forward to people and um, being able to promote other people. And I know just how difficult it is, and probably a lot of our listeners will be able to empathize with just this idea of, we, we don't like to have to self-promote ourselves, but we're also not necessarily equipped with, with a, the, the armor and the weaponry of a big publishing house. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not good quality content out there for people to to take in. So um, I know that's definitely something that is a challenge, but uh, I really appreciate that in you, um, you know, looking to promote other people. And have you read um, any other authors, uh, any other indie authors that you were uh, significantly impressed by that maybe you'd highlight for some of the listeners? Oh, I, the list is so long. I actually, Matt, right now, I almost exclusively read fellow indie authors now. Um, there you go. The, the, the preponderance of fantastic um, and, in my mind, unappreciated work done by uh, indie authors. I, I firmly believe that indie uh, trad authors were all on the same level. Mm-hmm. Um, however, again, of course, we do not have um, that big... Um, uh, promotional machine behind us as Indies that our tribe calls to. Um, there, there's so many fantastic ones. I can highlight an author who isn't uh, even published yet. Uh, that's uh, uh, Angel Wilson. 
this feather is holding down the primary for fantasy uh, when when her when her stuff comes out it's it's going to be uh, phenomenal I've done some a bit of baiting I've gotten a sneak peek of some of her stuff a bit of beta stuff yeah. and uh, she yeah she's extremely talented um, I've some of the ones that I've read uh, they're like Bjorn Larson, uh, Elizabeth Eckstein, um, Rebecca Bickley, uh, Harvey Lauer, who I have I've had the extreme privilege of uh, actually putting uh, in his book uh, on his cover. I'm, I'm very humbled by that. Um, so, I mean, I could go on and on, but there's so many fantastic authors out there, Holly Tinsley. Um, you know, yeah, I could I could keep keep going, but there's yeah. there's a lot of great um, indie authors out there, and I, I, I now predominantly read uh, self-published books. That's awesome. That's really good to hear. So um, great stuff, and I'm I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit better. So you know, for the listener, I mean, give, maybe give us a little bit of background, like who who is PL Stewart, and um, you know, a little bit about who you are and and your inspiration. You know, maybe tell us a little bit about you know. You know I know you read exclusively indie authors now, but you know, what were sort of the, the first authors or the first stories that made you kind of sit back and be like, I, I would love to create some of my own worlds and my own stories? Well, P.L. Stewart, uh, based in Canada, uh, a lot of links to uh, Barbados, the West Indies, where my mother uh, was born and where she lives now. Uh, grew up in a family that loved reading books. Uh, my mother herself uh, aspired he went through the uh, short romance, went through the trad route, uh, basically she just kept this kind of like a hobby to herself. So I would say, and as I as I put in the dedication to your drunk, the best author. Uh, however, I guess I'm the one that, that was published first and mm-hmm. uh, vicariously through me. Uh, uh, so background in uh, major in English University with a minor in history. I grew up in classics, so the first thing that got me inspired and made me love fantasy were the writers such as, of course, Gerard Tolkien, who's essentially considered the, the, the modern major, if I can use that word. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, T.H. White, um, you know, uh, and of course, uh, recently a lot of more, uh, a lot of contemporary authors such as uh, N.K. Jemison, uh, John Gwynn. So, um, but yeah, growing up, it was definitely um, the classic uh, high fantasy type type stuff. So. Very cool. Very cool. It sounds like it, it kind of bled into your own your own writing. Uh, and it's really interesting. It's not often that I've come across writers that it sounds like this is kind of a family craft for you. So you mentioned that your mother um, took a took a swipe at this and you still sort of regard her as as the best author in the family. Um, is there similarities between either your writing stylistically or the types of content that you develop uh, in conjunction with her or you know, do you deviate from that? I'd love to hear sort of, um, you know, how your relationship with her sort of dovetails into your writing. Well, you know, I, I, I like to have a fantastic relationship with my mother, my father, my, my everything. She, she was a single mother. She raised me. Um, she uh, wrote romance and uh, was a, would have been a, a published romance writer. Uh, I uh, actually enjoyed reading romance. Uh, of my favorite genres, fantasy, uh, you know, uh, romance is actually something you enjoy. Um, I believe it's 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 part of uh, life, and mm-hmm. or at least it should be. It's 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 one of the things that drives drives humans. I do include some elements. Uh, in my my novels, it, so and I think that you know that would potentially be a genre. If I wasn't exclusively a, a fantasy writer, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm. I'm certainly not as multi-talented. 
I'm not like that. Fantasy is pretty well my bread and butter. I can't envision myself writing something else, but uh, there is an element of romance, uh, you know, as my mom writes in my novels. Very cool. Very cool. I almost feel like it's it's hard to avoid um, unless you're writing something like I don't know, like John Wick, where where you're <laughs> you're trying to infuse some some degree because in reality, if your characters, um, which I'm assuming yours are. If your characters are relational beings, like human beings are, are relational, we crave, you know, that's why loneliness is, is a leading cause of depression in humanity. It's something that we crave uh, human interaction. We crave to be relational. And uh, it's only natural that sort of one of the most powerful relationships that we can have is a romantic one. So I feel like it's, it's really hard to have any kind of story, um, you know, that doesn't at least you know, delve into relational space or, or ro the romantic space. So um, that's very interesting. Very interesting. Does your mother still write? Uh, no, uh, unfortunately, she doesn't write now. She still loves to read. She's late 80s now. So, mm. uh, you know, as I said, she gets to live like her environment. She quite enjoys the, the romantic uh, elements, the relationship, the relationship. All right. Awesome. Well, so I appreciate that response, PL. And, um, you know, one thing, you know, I would love to, to learn a little bit more about you shared a ton of great information with us thus far, but, uh, any particularly fun facts that you want your readers or any of the listeners to know about you? Um, you know, we'd love to hear a little bit more of your story. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about me is that I work in uh, federal law enforcement, uh, frontline law enforcement. So, uh, that has impacted my writing, certainly. Um, a lot of the uh, incredible and uh, very uh, dynamic situations I've been involved with have impact um, the situations that I write about. Uh, so that's something that probably not a lot of people realize about uh, P.L. Stewart. Wow, that's really interesting. And I, you know, I, I have to kind of ask, you know, maybe this, this dovetails into sort of the, the conversation we'll get into about your writer's journey. How does your role in law enforcement um, influence your writing? I believe that, well, there's several uh, avenues and aspects. One of them is, I, it's funny, I never uh, thought that I would be appraised for a book writing and everybody be praised for my battle scenes mm. and um, I believe that the physical uh, confrontations and arrests and things like that that I've encountered have definitely impacted the way I write uh, that's one element uh, number two I would say that uh, as a law enforcement officer uh, you deal with such a wide variety of scope of people on a daily basis that I think if not an expert, certainly um, become very attuned to uh, human behavior and how people mm. uh, react in different situations. And I think uh, it makes you, in terms of when I write the more dramatic pieces uh, in my book, I think it, it does uh, make for uh, stimulating reading mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, again, so, you know, kind of based on some of the situations that I've been you know, um, in law enforcement. And I think third, um, I believe that Kind of go back to the same point in studying the human condition uh, as an officer and dealing with truly um, get a sense of um, human beings, the wonderful uh, positive aspects, and of course all of our failings that mm -hmm. go into uh, properly characterizing uh, uh, players in an office. So uh, you can take bits and pieces of that you've met and encountered on my work journey and incorporate them into some of the journey. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's I believe, how uh, my job, my regular job has impacted uh, my writing. That's really interesting. And, you know, you, you touch on a, a really, you know, unique piece because I, I would assume, um, I've never been in law enforcement, but definitely have admiration for those that undertake that incredibly difficult craft. Um, but you definitely see this really broad spectrum of humanity that 
probably a lot of other people don't see. Um, so you have, you, know, you even talked about you know, being involved in physical confrontations and how that sort of influenced your writing, which is a really interesting take um, and an interesting way to draw inspiration from, from real world experience. But you know, I also love the aspect of we're bringing uh, into the fold, like as I develop characters, seeing the complexities of people and how um, people react in tense, high stress situations. I mean, I feel like almost any time you're interacting with law enforcement, whether you're the law enforcement officer or uh, the individual that's interacting with, with law enforcement, there's a, there's a degree of stress, I would assume, um, on both ends of this, on both ends of the spectrum. Um, but that's really, that's really unique. Are, are there any particular cases that you'd, that you really, you know, noticed yourself doing that in terms of your character development, if you're able to share any of that information? Well, yeah, no, and I appreciate that. While I can't specifically share the the incidences that occurred in my law enforcement job, I can certainly say that um, overall, and this is more of a comment, that um, physical confrontations um, tend to be very uh, brief, mm -hmm. uh, somewhat uh, violent, and um, usually the the um, the dis the outcome is decided rather. Mm -hmm. uh, and typically, both people get hurt to some degree. Um, that's that's the the essence for me of what physical confrontation is all about. So, and that certainly translates to, I guess, if you think of um, uh, medieval time, medieval scenario, a battle. Uh, you know, two combatants come together. There'd be, uh, you know, maybe a couple blows struck, and then there'd be a victor. Um, you know, unfortunately, if you were the victim, uh, normally that 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 results in the loss of your life. But right. um, yeah, that that's that's probably one of the, the biggest areas that I, I can say that yeah, specifically that's that's impacted my writing. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's so interesting. I, I appreciate you sharing all of that information with us. So, um, it kind of transitioning into your into your writer's journey. I know we talked a lot about some of the influences that that you've had, whether it be your mother. Um, sort of the family craft that writing is. You mentioned being an English major in school, um, and then obviously your career in law enforcement being an influence on your writing. Um, but what I'd, I'd love to dive into a little bit is, you know, this is your this is your first published book, uh, A Drowned Kingdom. I know your uh, your partner in publishing is Freeze and Press, um, and there's you know for so many authors that we engage with in the in the writing community on Twitter. There is kind of this, you know, what direction should I go? Should I be looking to self-publish? Should I pursue the traditional path? Uh, we know that there are so many hybrid options that exist now. Um, and, you know, I would love to kind of get a little bit into your head on what was the decision process that led you into this partnership with Friesen. Um, and, and, you know, tell me a little bit about that story. Well, Friesen Press is essentially a company that assists self published writers. You're self-published mm -hmm. with Friesen, you retain your rights. Um, they simply do a lot of the, the lion's share of the, the heavy lifting in mm -hmm. terms of printing and uh, and actually getting your book to a publication ready to date. Um, you know, they, I got involved with Friesen um, essentially as a referral. I had a good friend, Matthias Kahn's, he's another, uh, actually a colleague, uh, works in the same, uh, the same job that I fantastic. Thriller uh, type. His book, fantastic book. Keeping it up. Um, in any case, he I was, uh, and I'd been doing my research. I'd, I'd firmly believe that publishing was the path I wanted to pursue for a variety of reasons. Number one, I was publishing later in life, so um, I wasn't going to be content with um, the timeline it take to first of all obtain an agent through querying that could take mm. years. Right. Then to have an agent uh, shop, what's accepted by an agent, have an agent shop my work and hopefully find a publisher. And then we all know that traditional traditional publishing got a lot more extensive mm -hmm. than uh, than self-published. I mean, you, it could take you three years after you sign a contract mm -hmm. for your book to come out. And you're also, um, the way it is in the business, that it is a pecking order. If, if Matt Lucas is a much bigger name uh, than me and his book, it, it, his final draft comes to the publisher later than mine. 
that doesn't mean that because I'm sort of not focused uh, in terms of what I said in my, my final draft that I'm going to get published before them. Matt, mm-hmm. thanks for already. We're going to put Matt's book PL, you're from the back of the queue. That, that mm-hmm. wasn't something I was, I was necessarily comfortable with. Because again, if I was uh, 30 years old, even perhaps at the publication, but but at my age, and having a, a very uh, a long uh, series planned, seven books in this series, seven more books at a minimum planned was not created. That'll take me into my as it is if I could put essentially a book a year. So that would never happen with traditional publishing. So I was very, uh, very much resolved to go the. Uh, the self-published road. Uh-huh. Uh, but again, I didn't have the tech. I felt. My lovely wife, who's my partner in uh, in entrepreneurship, she has a marketing background. She's fantastic. Uh, we worked together in this business, but we both agreed, um, you know, we had a lot of it, but the, the actual side, we wanted to, to get some help. So that's where Friesen um, really played out well. And they had a great reputation. They're pretty well... Uh, you know, essentially the, the Mercedes or BMW of, of, uh, of self-publishing assistance or mm-hmm. so, uh, they, 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 again, highly regarded. So we won them and couldn't have been happier. They've been fantastic. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I love to hear that story and I hope that encourages, um, some of the other authors that are maybe listening to this, that are trying to figure out, you know, do I want to be traditional? Do I want to be self-published? Uh, you know, do I want to work with someone like Friesen Press or, you know, some of these other um, types of you know, people that, that kind of carry the heavy burden uh, and really your job is just to write good stories. Um, so that's definitely an interesting thing. And you, you bring up a really good point because, you know, I've gone through when I first started to write, I pursued the traditional publishing path. And I've had um, some stories, uh, novellas and short stories that have been published on kind of a self-publishing basis. Um, but... I had signed on with an agent at one point in time and I've been, I started querying in 2017, end of 2017. And, you know, for my primary book series, um, which, which hasn't been released yet, but it, it still hasn't come to fruition. We're in 2021. So it's been almost, I think I signed a contract in 2018. Um, and it's been like, three years. Um, and it just takes a really long time. It's hard to break into some of those places. Um, and working with an agent is, is it can be challenging because they have so many clients and you have to kind of look at the ratio. Are you one of a hundred? Are you one of five? Um, how well is that person connected to other publishers? So there's a lot of factors that come in with the traditional route, but you know, another piece of it that's, that's interesting. I'm coming a little bit more from the the pursuing traditional um, perspective, but sometimes you don't need an agent. There are traditional publishers out there that don't require you to have an agent in order to submit. And that's something that, um, you know, a lot of people don't even realize when they get into it. They think that the agent is the the gatekeeper to your success. But as you've mm-hmm. proven, PL, like that's not true. You are published. You have a ton of great works planned. Um, and me on the traditional side, you know, and again, I, I've, I consider self-publishing too. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm, you know, what I want to be when I grow up when it comes to some of that stuff. But, you know, these, these agents aren't, aren't the gatekeepers. Like you are the gatekeeper to your own success and, and you're absolutely proving that. And, um, it sounds like your, your first iteration of, of, uh, uh, planned, uh, I don't even know what you call it, a seven, a seven elegy, whatever, I don't know that term. Um, I mean, it's, it's been successful and it seems wildly popular and you've developed a really great network and that's what it all really comes into. Um, and that's really what it's all about. So that's a great story to hear. And, you know, one thing I wanted to maybe double click on is, uh, the partnership that you have with your wife. Um, I really would love to learn a little bit more because, you know, my wife is kind of my home partner as well. Um, and you know, she's been my primary, uh, encourager and, and advocate, throughout my journey. So I would love to hear, you know, sort of how you two work in tandem and that incredible partnership um, as part of this this entrepreneurial endeavor. Well, my wife is phenomenal. Uh, she is brilliant. Um, she, again, is, is something of the marketing slash uh, publication slash um, uh, 
she she is the person who and frees me up so I can focus much more. Um, she uh, handles everything from uh, media requests to uh, bloggers for reviewing my work to, I mean, the scope of her duties is, it's pretty immense. She also serves as, as essentially my primary editor because before I submit uh, my final draft for uh, publication to uh, Friesen, where they their own editors start to uh, take it apart, uh, she's the one who I have to, it has to pass the must. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't get to freeze unless it gets past her. So, um, you know, and she's, she's an extremely uh, discerning reader. Um, she she actually doesn't read fantasy. She doesn't even like fantasy, and I actually think that's an advantage. Um, she yeah. she actually prefers the police procedural uh, thriller type uh, fare, but she's an exceptional, and she uh, just knows when something isn't quite right. She may not specifically tell me what she feels needs to be fixed, but she'll just say classes isn't working, and and ninety five percent of the time, I, I see what she's talking about mm -hmm. after I read the passage. So we really work well together in tandem, and that she's my, my best kept Obviously, she's behind the scenes, and everybody thinks, you know, P.L. Stewart, that name, but really, truly, it's 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 P.L. and, and Deb. So yeah. we work well together. We, uh, you know, I'm blessed to have And you know, it's not easy to, um, you know, start a business together. You know, there could be some uh, potential uh, tension. We, we, we have a lot, of, a lot of similarities. We think kind of the same. I think that we um, think differently is that different. I've been very blessed. Absolutely, absolutely. No, that's that's awesome, PL. And and I we we had a little bit of a connectivity issue, and you were just talking about sort of uh, the partnership and this wonderful marriage that you have with your wife, and, and I didn't quite catch it, and, and I want to make sure that the listener has an opportunity to hear it. So uh, maybe if you can pick back up just from from that you know little last section uh, from your previous answer, um, just to make sure that, that folks hear uh, all the wisdom that you have to share with us. Hi. Yes, of course. What I was saying is I have a, an amazing marriage, an amazing partnership with Deb. Uh, she's fantastic. And again, um, when you enter something like a business, um, it's usually you're already uh, partners in your marriage and in life. And there can be some, uh, some tension and some conflict. However, I am very lucky. Um, Deb and I uh, share a lot of the same thought process. I think we, we think we think a lot of ways, but however we think differently, stripes uh, rather than I think we really complement each other uh, yeah absolutely absolutely no that's that's great stuff and it's kind of interesting that you bring that up because it's and I wonder how many other authors would echo the same sentiments but like my my wife is sort of my editor-in-chief as well she's kind of the, the person who and she's not a writer uh, and very much the same like she doesn't read fantasy my, my book sort of is this uh, I do some high fantasy. I do some like urban modern fantasy with like uh, splicings of horror and paranormal and some of that kind of stuff. And like that's not uh, that's not her cup of tea at all. She likes the the crime procedurals. She likes like that kind of stuff. And um, but when when I give her something, she's one always committed to read it, whether it's her cup of tea or not. And it sounds like your wife does the exact same thing. So it's. It's really cool to have that supportive individual who's like, I'm just down to help you no matter what. And that's just a, a, an awesome advocate and partner to have um, in your marriage. And um, But you, you hit on another point where you're like, if she calls something out that needs changing, I better go take a look at that. Because I have found 100% of the time that when she tells me, Matt, I don't like this, or I would change this, or you need to adjust this because it doesn't, you know, fit your messaging, or it doesn't fit the theme of the story, or there's, you know, I just don't feel right about it. Like I better go back and I better do that. Uh, so I can empathize with you in a in a lot of regards. All right, well, 
Perfect. Now that's that's a great answer. Um, and so let's let's kind of talk about a drowned kingdom. You know, we've talked about who P.L. Stewart is as an author, and I think we've got a great picture of who you are. Um, but I I want to hear a lot about um, a drowned kingdom. This this first iteration in this series that you have planned. Um, so maybe maybe tell us a little bit like about the meat of your story. Um, who are your main characters? What's the inciting incident? Um, and you know, kind of what do you want your readers to know before they, they go out to purchase it, before they open the book? Well, Matt, I describe uh, my book and how it was constructed and what it's about as an egg. So the, um, the white exterior shell is, I believe, uh, somewhat of a, what would appear to be a traditional high epic fantasy with, uh, you know, swords and, and battles and political intrigue and lords and ladies and princesses and mage and magic and all kinds of trappings that you find mm-hmm. in a traditional high epic fantasy novel. Um, then you have the white uh, the white part egg on the inside, which is uh, you know the vast uh, majority of the egg uh, by area, and that is uh, for one thing, um, my book, I, I didn't get too creative there. Atalanta was called Atalanta. There's a reason behind that one. Mm-hmm. You have to read the novel to, to really understand that part. Um, and also, in homage to Plato's original tale. And also, uh, I wanted to create a, um, a journey that. Uh, uh, regarding um, uh, a, a prince, a man, and um, how um, someone in that position can uh, rise to power uh, and change the world. In that, uh, he's someone who was, uh, although he was at the upper echelon of society, found himself in downtrodden circumstances. And how uh, how is a uh, journey uh, how uh, change the world? Um, That's but awesome. the the, the, the yellow part, the yolk um, of the egg, is very much about uh, personal change and themes such as misogyny, privilege, colonialism, classism, religious involvement. These are all themes that are very difficult that haunt us today. Mm-hmm. Um, also about faith, uh, religious faith. Uh, but faith and what faith means and how faith can be challenged. And, and it wasn't so much to provide answers to these questions because certainly no one like me has the answer. I don't right. know if anyone has the answers of, of how to address and cope with humankind has been grappling for, for all of its existence. However, I wanted to relate this question very much as part of the story to be about essentially the vernacular uh, woke. Like, what does it mean? Can someone become woke? Um, can someone uh, come from a place of privilege and bigotry uh, and not having appreciation the culture, race, and religion? What degree can someone like that change the evil? Uh, so that's Okay, that's awesome. That's a that's a really good message. Yeah, that's that's really interesting perspective, PL. And, and you know, I'd love to maybe do a double click with you on sort of the the racism and and bigotry piece. And you, you I think you talk about privilege as well. And these are just really big issues, uh, specifically in North America right now, but also you know, around the world. Um, and I think you offer a really unique perspective given your background in law enforcement. Um, so I'd love maybe to hear a little bit more of like, what are the the messages and some of the underlying themes that you do try to share on that topic throughout uh, the course of the book? Well, um, some of the main messages I try to share are that, um, you know, from my perspective, I believe that I'm a man of uh, faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised very religious. Um, okay. My mother is very religious. 
Um, however, I consider myself more spiritual okay. than religious, essentially. Um, I believe that organized religion and any organized religion, uh, name your faith, um, uh, is has played um, uh, a crucial role in, um, in civilization and um, giving uh, humankind a moral compass and um, so many positive aspects from organized religion. However, realizing that organized religion itself is human made and anything that is human made is subject to uh, potentially becoming faulty and mm -hmm. uh, having some element of unfortunately uh, corruption. Uh, therefore, um, you know, when, when we as humans, I believe, uh, become so entrenched in our, specifically our religions, um, that we can no longer um, see the value in the religions of others, um, I think that's very dangerous, and I think that's led to, of course, um, all kinds of horrible episodes uh, throughout history mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, intolerance, um, you know, and in terms of um, bigotry, uh, you know, uh, violence against, um, you know, uh, women, uh, violence against uh, people from the LGBTQ, uh, et cetera, plus communities. Mm -hmm. um, I think that um, my book, uh, tries to uh, paint a picture whereby um, how does someone uh, come by those views potentially? Um, is it nature versus nurture? What is it? Mm -hmm. And if someone um, has those views, uh, how potentially could they uh, be uh, open to changing their mind? And, um, and what would that take? And how long would it take? Uh, would they change all their views? Would it be only uh, certain views depending on their experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, what does it take? Does it take, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the saying is often that uh, only major, um, almost catastrophic life events uh, are truly capable of changing people to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. um, so is that what it takes? Um, you know, so that that's what a lot of um, my book uh, addresses in that, in that, uh, in that uh, terms of, uh, how those themes, and again, you hit the nail on the head, Matt, those themes have uh, not only um, haunted uh, civilization for years, but they're particularly very relevant and timely right now with, with mm -hmm. what we're, we're seeing, uh, especially in terms of, you know, uh, essentially a second major uh, civil rights, uh, mm -hmm. you know, movement, uh, especially in the United States and North America. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting, you bring up kind of the the faith perspective and the religion perspective. And, um, you know, I, I'm a, a self-professing Christian and, um, but you know, there's oftentimes that I find myself, um, looking at people who would come from certain, um, whether it be denominations or, um, it almost seems like, especially in the United States that there's become this weird emergence of a quote unquote conservative Christianity. Um, yes. But when you kind of take a look at and analyze, like, does pure conservatism uh, or really pure liberalism, right, if we're going to add like a political skew to this, mm -hmm. does that really embody the Christian faith? I don't seem there's there's a lot of inconsistencies that I find. Um, and that's not inconsistency with the faith. That's inconsistency with the individuals. And it, it kind of touches on. Um, what you talked about is that it seems like we as humans take something that is pure and divine, right? And we yes. try to put these flawed human parameters around it. And we try to uh, almost like earn our salvation by some kind of misguided religiosity um, that leads us to, oh, if you don't prescribe to this way of thinking, you are an other right exactly or someone that that is is untouchable but in reality like i've always found in in my experiences with people who probably don't hold the same beliefs as i do probably don't believe the same things about certain topics as i do um that there's nuance to everybody and you touched on this a little bit with kind of the nature versus nurture conversation um but there are nuances to what people believe and why they believe it and Sometimes, like on one end of the spectrum, uh, you talked about LBG, LGBTQ people. If you haven't experienced or been 
around any of those types of people in the course of your life, you may not know how to interact with them. And then conversely, if you're someone who um, is in that community and you're engaging with someone who might be uh, a conservative thinker or they, they might not understand your particular worldviews, there's nuance to that too. Um, and so it's such an interesting way to like, how do we navigate that? Um, and so I'm really interested to see like how you develop your characters in your story to address some of these, these issues. Like when you do maybe change them, are you changing them by that interaction? Like putting them in front of someone who maybe they don't entirely understand, but through sort of trial and tribulation, they become that or you know, what's kind of the, the avenue and the navigational tool that you use to broaden your character's horizon and how do you think that translates to the real world well i believe i use a combination of techniques matt because i believe that's actually in my view i Mm -hmm. take that for for what it is that it's not just one thing that will uh bring about such change Uh, part Mm -hmm. of it is is to be honest with you i believe is is, a, is, a, is an innate ability for introspection and an ability to uh, look yourself in the mirror, uh, examine your, your own beliefs and your own thought processes, and be objective and try and understand when there are times when you may not have all the right answers. Mm-hmm. Then there is that element, of course, of exposure to people from who are different from you and to actually um, hear them and, 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 not, and not just hear them, but listen to them. Yeah. And do your best to um, that that element of trying to actually be empathetic and put yourself uh, in walk a mile in their shoes and to mm-hmm. um, you know listen to their experiences and how their experiences have shaped them similarly to the way your experiences have shaped you and and try and mm-hmm. try and find a common ground. But but I think even probably the third element and and how I I would say that. Um, this plays out uh, in the novels is, again, I referred back to that, um, what what can really make a cha- person change? And sometimes, frankly, it is catastrophic, unfortunate events mm-hmm. that um, for, it seems to have a, a way of playing on the human psyche that opens people up to looking at things differently. If you undergo an unfortunate uh, death in the family or... Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 an injury or or something really life altering, um, sometimes um, that can open up because when you're forced forced to adapt to your circumstances and and actually live differently, I think it opens up the ability to think differently. So that's I think I use a combination of all those to show how there is at least a potential for changing. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's a true concept that sometimes people need to be stripped of. Um, and I'll use a term that, that you use um, in sort of the, the marketing material for your book, but sometimes we need to be stripped of our idols. And when I say idols, like idolatry isn't always um, a, you know, just to go to a, a biblical, like it's not a golden calf. It's not always yes. a, a altar to some, you know, heathenistic kind of God, you know, just to use sort of a historical term. Um, but sometimes that idol is our political party. Sometimes that idol is, um, you know, our religion, you know, quote unquote, that doesn't, that doesn't conform, but some of these religious practices and these doings and ways to earn salvation and believe a certain thing. And that's going to save you and all these different things that, you know, maybe aren't the, the, the crux of your, of your faith. Um, and so we create, these idols and in order for us to improve as individuals, for us to uh, become humble and empathize with those that are around us and, and be the type of person that, you know, in my perspective, that God wants us to be, um, then we need to be stripped of those idols. They need to be removed from us or taken away from us, even if they are a good gift from God, right? Um, but sometimes in order for, for us to grow, we need to be pruned, right? We need to, to be changed uh, in a radical way. Um, so it's really interesting perspective. Um, and so maybe that dovetails into a little bit more dialogue about, about a drowned kingdom. Um, you know, I really wanted to, to dive in with you about this sort of single God and pagan idolatry that you outline uh, in the story. And, and I'd love to kind of see what influences 
uh, you infused into the story about this sort of divine system that you've created and, and how maybe you draw from real world religions or mythology to develop it? Well, uh, certainly without giving too much away of the, the plot, and I'm hoping I, I don't want to spoil it for you if you do plan to read the book, right. um, you know, the, the, the single God religion um, is kind of an amalgam of uh, several major religions. Uh, however, you'll definitely see uh, an element of Christianity in terms of, I mean, immediately you see single God, you think monotheism, and you think, um, you know, traditional Christian beliefs, however, realizing that there are many uh, monotheistic religions right. um, in the world. And, and you know, uh, some may think of, uh, you know, Islam, some may think of uh, Judaism, some may think, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you, you, the one thing that I uh, initially... I believe someone reading the back jacket of my book might mistakenly believe that uh, this is it's some kind of indictment against uh paganism right right i mean i i have friends that are are, are wiccas and and, and mm -hmm. pagans and i mean and i remember one of them specifically uh her um messaging me uh, on facebook and and being horribly upset wondering if you know and 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 i hadn't spoken to her in a long time Wondering if if this my book was some kind of anti uh, anti pagan bashing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I and I totally understand that. And I remember um, having a conversation with her, and and then her um, it, it it got very very deep. And uh, her saying, "Well, I, I you know I, I said to her that you know I, I apologize that I didn't um, make that clear enough um, for you in terms of how I perhaps promoted and marketed the book." She said, "I." I apologize for not trusting you in yeah. that, um, you know, you're not that kind of person. And there must have been, I should have read the book first uh, before I made that, that judgment. And, and I think it was a mutual kind of understanding and that, you know, uh, but, but I, my book is first and foremost, as I said, I go back to the egg thing on the mm -hmm. shell is a typical fantasy type book. Right. And, um, you know, it, it, it simply, my, my back cover synopsis simply tells you what's going to be in the book. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't explain my viewpoint on it, right? right. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, uh, my book is actually um, trying, hopefully, to show people that whether it be it faith or what's classified as, I mean, someone may classify as non-faith, mm -hmm. um, the, you know, whether it be atheist, agnostic, uh, put categorize and lump things under whatever categories you wish, mm -hmm. uh, being pagan, etc. That respect and appreciation for all faiths and non-faiths is is critical to us mm -hmm. understanding each other and coming to a true level of spirituality. Because imagine we have conflicts, as you so astutely pointed out. Within denominations, you're Baptist, mm -hmm. but you don't believe that someone who's Anglican, you know, has the, the right path. Like, I mean, right. and that's within Christianity, for example, right. right? Like now imagine when you translate that to, you know, if you're Christian thinking about, uh, you know, Muslims or, you know, like, so we need to, we really, as a human, as a human race, we need to work on this, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, because that, because I believe that's the path to true spirituality. When we, when we uh, all about loving loving each other and understanding each other and appreciating each other. And yeah. that will allow us to, um, that'll be a, a, a bar to us committing the types of atrocities and violence yeah. uh, and hate against each other that is totally contradictory to our own spiritual values. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's funny you, you shared that experience with the person who had reached out to you. But I remember early in my writing, um, I had shared... Uh, one of the first drafts of, of my novel, um, and it talks about, I mean, my novel has tons of religious themes and, and motifs and underlying, um, you know, items and, and religious overtones and all the different things. Um, and she was Muslim. And, and I obviously write from a Christian worldview, and I try to, to honor that worldview and all that I do. Um, but she, you know, when I kind of told her about what my book was about, she was like, oh, this is going to be, you know, Islamophobic or it's going to be um, bashing people that are Muslim or people that aren't Christian. Don't they won't want, to, won't want to read that book or anything like that. And um, one of my prominent heroes 
in the story is a Muslim woman. And I remember kind of sharing with her and even sending her like snippets of the story as it was being developed. Um, and she was looking at me like, oh, wow, I would read this. Like this, this is someone I can empathize with, right? And so there is that thing that even though we may have different belief systems, um, and I think authors have such a unique voice where we can, if I'm going to be writing about something, I better understand it and I better study mm-hmm. it. And so I've studied these world religions. I've studied them and I've, I've started to understand their belief systems as much as I understand my own. And so when people, you know, critique them or if they have this unwarranted hate towards someone because of, uh, their choice of faith or whatever that might be, um, you're able to equip yourself to hedge against that and to create, I mean, in in my story, I've created villains that are Christian who Mm -hmm. distort, you know, the appropriate application of Christianity. I've created villains that are Islamic. I've created villains that are atheist or agnostic, but I also have heroes that do the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. I have heroes that are of all these different religions as well. And I think that's a unique way for us as writers to say, you know, kind of exemplary of what you're talking about is, is we can provide examples um, for people who need to learn to change and for people to be inspired uh, or to feel uh, welcomed. Um, And I think that's a a cool opportunity that we have as writers. It seems like it's something that's very important to you, which I absolutely admire. So um, a really cool perspective and I appreciate you sharing it. Well, thank you. Absolutely. So, um, you know, just a couple other things. Um, you know, I would love to learn a little bit more about um, if if you have one message um, to su- be summarized in in maybe a minute or so. Answer. Someone reads your book, and you have a conversation with them afterwards, and you ask, "What did you get out of that book? What do you hope that their answer is?" Well, if I may preface. That's an excellent question, but if I may preface this by by saying that, I would hope, first of all, that uh, because my character, my main character, uh, Othran, uh, mm-hmm. does have these uh, negative uh, traits, the bigotry, the privilege, the homophobia, etc., that, mm-hmm. uh, and because it is a, a, a first-person limited narrative voice, and that's for a reason, I would ask the reader to please uh, be patient with him. And, you know, because a lot of readers uh, understandably find it difficult to um, enjoy a book if they if they don't like the main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would ask that you look uh, beyond uh, those negative traits and, and, and try and hopefully, hopefully the positive traits of author will be apparent and that you uh, give him a chance. Um, that doesn't mean he's going to miraculously... Uh, you know, become, become, uh, improve overnight. However, I think that his journey will be fascinating and will be, uh, compelling. Um, but yeah, I, I would, I would want the, the one message that I want to give, uh, the readers is a message of hope that, um, authoring himself is analogous to all of us and, um, we can all better ourselves. We can all improve, evolve change and we can all make a difference not just fictional princes you don't have to be uh, at the head of uh, a particular society to uh, invoke change and you can um, create change in your little in your little corner uh, of the world Um, and you can evolve and you can have different viewpoints as i have Um, i had um, you know i i've i've evolved i've changed i'd like to think i've um, become uh, more educated in terms of certain topics and more appreciative of you know all kinds of things uh, over the course of my life. So, and I hopefully still evolving. So yeah. I would like that message to hopefully translate to the reader. Very cool. No, that's a that's a great message. It's a good unifying message. I think it's a it's you have a voice that I think should be heard given the um, the clamorous time that we live in. Um, you know, with all the the bedlam and pan, pandemonium that is sort of exists in the world and, and the division and strife that people um, seem to have. And I think, you know, to have a story like this that presents that unifying message, and I think it's a, it's a brave step forward to present such a flawed 
main character um, and to allow the character an opportunity to grow um, and for readers to watch what that process looks like because it, it is a process and I think it's something that we as human beings need to be patient with the people in our lives or our political leadership or um, you know the people that are around us that we need to be patient this this change is a process it's not something that happens overnight we live in such a uh, instant gratification type of culture but to go through a you know seven series or a seven book series with a character and be able to look back at at chapter, you know book one and then look to book seven and see just this growth and this change it's almost like you know being an individual and you mentioned that that, that author is analogous to all of us I would go back and I look to when I was 19 or when I was 12 and I look at what I am now and it's a very different picture uh, but that took a lot of time that took a lot of work. And that took a lot of faith um, to, to make some of those radical changes in my life. And um, I think that's a, that's a really cool way to develop your character. And I think it's, it's uh, an interesting sort of cornerstone to place this series on uh, with your main character. So a really, really cool and interesting selection. Thank you. Absolutely. So with that being said, um, we've talked about so much here. Um, and you have actually a little snippet for us of a drowned kingdom that you're gonna that you're gonna read. So wanted to give uh, this as an opportunity to our listeners uh, to hear from PL Stewart to get an excerpt from a drowned kingdom. Um, and so hopefully you know this just you know entices you to go out and and buy this book and examine uh, this complex and interesting world that that PL has developed. So with that PL, I'm going to, you know, kind of pass it over to you if, uh, if you're ready to jump into, into your reading. Uh, I am. Um, I will tell you uh, for the listeners uh, where this passage occurs in the book. However, and it won't give, uh, I believe, too much away of the plot. However, um, I believe it's an important uh, passage in terms of understanding uh, a bit about the main character and some of those issues we just we just talked about. So, um, uh, if it's okay, I, I will begin. Yeah, get going. All right, perfect. I had so many questions about the Anon, but as Lysi said, it was not the time for history lessons. I promised myself, if I lived, I would learn more about the Southern Landers I kept hearing spoken about, so exalted, as if they were gods, as if their civilization was greater than Atlantic's was which of course was impossible for black savages. But even as I thought this, part of me knew I was wrong. There were too many indications to challenge the beliefs I held of the Anon, but I could not bring myself to admit it, at least not yet, until I saw more with my own eyes and discerned more from my own experiences. For I had never seen an Indian. I had never been to their land. I'd never bothered to learn anything about them of all the ancient realms I was forced to study. I dismissed the Nabians, thanks to people like Uncle, as cannibals, brutes of little intelligence, lower than even the Acremians, not worthy of consideration even as the conquered. I decided the Nabians had nothing to ever offer us. Yet the man I trusted best in the world, one I thought was the wisest man I'd ever known, my cousin Glaithman, who had seen more of the earth in 30 years than most men would ever see in their lifetimes, spoke so highly of them. Lysi admired them, as did Welly and Hurt. Perhaps I'd erred, but I would need help of the people such as those I'd come to depend on to see the true value of the Anib race. And that's the end of the passage. Wow, that is that was really interesting. And you know what, it absolutely encapsulates so much of what you talked about in in Othran and our, and our main character here, um, you absolutely do get a snippet of sort of this, uh, and it sounds like it's occurring sort of at the precipice of some kind of change. So it sounds like he's kind of grappling with um, the elitist persona that maybe he's exuded throughout the course of his life, um, and it sounds like he's starting to question. Um, you know how what his belief system has been for a long time. Am I am I uh, grasping that correctly? No, you're you, you've hit it spot on. Um, you know that passage again 
without not giving away the plot, is at a pivotal moment um, where he's having uh, almost, I would say, an epiphany um, mm-hmm. because of uh, the things that have happened to him and what he's experienced to that juncture. Um, but again, as, as you can clearly hear from the passage, um, you know, he's not ready to buy in all the way uh, in mm-hmm. terms of uh, what I refer to the Anibians, which is, uh, you know, a, a black African-inspired race that exists in, uh, in my, my world, my world, my universe that I've created. He's mm-hmm. not ready to um, eschew his um, previous beliefs that these people were, um, you know, barbaric, um, savages, cannibals. Um, not capable of, of, of higher intelligence and thought. So he's he's not quite ready to buy him yet. However, you know, he's a bit more open. Yeah. And, you know, it was interesting to me the, the subtle nuance that you infused into that passage because when I'm looking at sort of the ignorance um, that it sounds like the main character is trying to hold on to or kind of grappling with, and the examples that you used... Um, and I'm just going to sort of summarize them. He's not studied this culture. He's uh, admits that he has studied other cultures uh, at a much more intricate level. Um, and even when confronted with firsthand testimony from a trusted advisor or a trusted friend, he still is grappling with this challenge of these preconceived beliefs. And it talks about some, you know, I think it, it speaks to our inherent ignorance and how difficult it can be for us to to sort of move off of the the paths that we've set ourselves on yes those paths are ingrained and and there a lot of behaviors learned um you will hear uh if you can recall the passage i know it's hard to call now i mentioned uh that in that passage the main character mentioned his uncle um mm-hmm. so again uh learned behavior from uh, people who uh, were part of your upbringing, yeah. um, you know, uh, again, this is, you know, it, as as everyone knows, uh, racism, uh, bigotry, um, that isn't something that I believe people are predisposed to, um, you know, that's something that's that's learned, I believe, part of your, yeah. your upbringing, but again, potentially reinforced or negated by things that happen to you um, throughout your life. So, but if you start off in a family, for example, who uh, who espouses those beliefs, um, obviously the likelihood is far higher that you're going to uh, cling to those beliefs yourself as well. So, um, you know that is that is also part of uh, what's gone into the making of someone like Arthur. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that was a that was a really interesting and very introspective passage, um, and so I hope that inspired some readers to to go out and purchase a drowned kingdom and and maybe delve into this this complex and and unique world that PL has created. So uh, we really appreciate you sharing that with us. And um, you know, for those who who are interested, um, you know, where can we find your book online, and and um, how's it distributed, and, and maybe where can they find you online uh, to maybe engage with you as as the author of this this great series. Well, uh, A Drowned Kingdom, uh, book one in what's called The Drowned Kingdom Saga, which is a series of seven books. Uh, you can buy that uh, on uh, my uh, publisher, Friesen Press. Uh, they have their own uh, unique little bookstore, so you can purchase it directly from that Friesen Press bookstore. Um, it can be found on Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble. Um, you know, there's so many different platforms. Um, you know, it's actually physically uh, in Chapters Indigo Books, which is the, the major uh, physical bookstore uh, in Canada. Um, so again, visit my website, www.plstuart.com, and it lists uh, the numerous platforms uh, where you can uh, purchase the book. In terms of me, uh, I'm uh, very active on Twitter, of all the social uh, media uh, forums I'm, I'm a part of. It's predominantly Twitter and Facebook. Um, on Twitter, I'm at PL Stewart Writes, uh, one word, at PL Stewart Writes. And it's the same for my uh, Facebook handle. So um, I welcome uh, direct messages on Twitter. Uh, my DMs are open. Um, if you have questions about the book, about me, uh, I love to engage with, uh, with fellow creatives and, and readers and people uh, in the writing community and anyone 
who, uh, who, who has a question about myself or my work. So uh, please, uh, looking forward to hearing from you there. All right. That's awesome. And what I will go ahead and do for the listener is um, in the description below, um, when we post onto Spotify, um, I will link uh, Freeze and Press page. I will link PL's website, and I will also uh, put a link to his Twitter account. So go follow him. Uh, go look up the book and, and hopefully purchase it. But um, this has been such a, a really great and encouraging dialogue. Uh, so PL, I, d- I just really appreciate you jumping on. Um, any final messages for your readers uh, or our listeners today? Uh, well, I would just, first of all, I'd love to thank you, Matt. This has been such a great experience. Uh, again, so privileged that you would have me on. And uh, you're, you're a fantastic interviewer. I, I, I love the conversation. It was it, it was really engaging. It was, it was wonderful. So thank you for that. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, and just, um, again, um, I give that final reminder for those of you um, who uh, read the book and, and may not like Othrin, um, I would just ask you and encourage you to give him a chance. Keep reading. Um, it's a seven book series and uh, you'll get to know uh, more about him as those seven books go on and he will evolve and uh, he will change. And PL is going to dazzle you with some battle scenes that are influenced from, from actual real world combat. So that sounds interesting enough for me to buy. Well, I hope so. It's it's actually, uh, again, I think my world building strengths are uh, exceed my my Valsine writing, but, um, you know, as long as people enjoy it, uh, that's what counts. There you go. There you go. Well, perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you again, P.O., for your time. Um, this has been the Parable Sowers podcast. I'm your host, Matt Lucas. So we appreciate if you stayed on for the, the hour and change that we've been here. Um, so thank you for listening, and uh, we'll touch back with you in Uh, next time around. So thanks, everybody.